Hello, and thank you for spending some time with us on the Priority Sale Podcast. I'm Jesse Lafine. I am joined today by Kevin Jordan, Operations Manager and part of the Sales uh, Management Team at Allied Automation. Hi, Kevin. Good morning. How are you doing, Jesse? Great. Uh, before we get into our topic today, which is should engineers be salespeople, um, if you could uh, help us out, just give us a little bit of your background so we understand where you're coming from. How do you help the people you help? So at Allied Automation, we we have our, our entire sales force are fully degreed sales engineers, right? They, they're all uh, uh, METs, EETs. Uh, they're highly technical just in order to sell what we what we sell. Um, and uh, we we in our DNA, we're those consultative salespeople um, that we partner with businesses. We our, our mission is to not waste your time, right? If you can't use us, we're out of there. But uh, we get in, um, we we partner with you. Our main goal right away is to understand well, what your values are, uh, what you do, or how you're doing what you do, uh, how you're serving your customers, how we can help you do it better, um, and how we can sort of educate, uh, educate, consult, uh, advocate for solutions that uh, that just make you more competitive, that that make your business more healthy, that make you able to provide more value to your customer base. So that's you know uh, long and short sort of. Uh, that's really why I wanted to talk to you today about this uh, topic. You mentioned that uh, you have a very highly technical sales team, a lot of engineers, I would say majority, correct? Our motto is for engineers by engineers. So yes. Excellent. So I want to start here. If I ask somebody on your team, what do you do? I meet them in a backyard barbecue. Uh, would they tell me that they're an engineer or would they tell me that they're in sales? If you're talking to the sales force, they're going to tell you that they're in sales. Uh, they're we actually have not only uh, sales engineers, but we we don't charge for technical support. I have a an entire team of fully degreed applications engineers who do the engineering part, right? Who do pre like pre sale consultation, who do uh, you know diagnostic information, who build out you know bills of material. The sales guy's job is sales, uh, and at the front end, the sales guy's job are relationships. Uh, and so they would tell you, I I would I would put money that they would tell you that they're consultative salespeople. Right, that their job is to be to evangelize, you know, uh, one, the value of our organization, and then two, that they're that they're here to help, uh, and that they're here to understand and to partner with with you and what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, they're 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 in sales. We don't make money on anything except for the product sales, uh, and the worst thing that we can do is you know try to sell somebody something that they don't need. Uh, that's that's a poison. I think that's the worst thing anyone can really do, honestly. Yes. It's, honestly, it's, it's really, really hard to do. I think that uh, when we think about trying to force somebody into making a decision they don't want to make, um, it's, it's nearly impossible. Uh, but I'm really, really happy to hear that uh, because in, in our work, and we've talked about this with other guests in the pod before, but on, uh, it, so often we see the stigma surrounding this idea of being a salesperson. And I feel like that's usually stronger in uh, these technical fields where I've been given, uh, you know, a career as, you know, fill in the blank, engineer, architect, uh, lawyer, accountant, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. I get this revenue goal put on me. And um, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the things that maybe you have had to coach in or coach out um, some of the engineers that do come into a sales role? Oh, that's uh, that's got really two, two fronts for us. Uh, so yes, uh, we, we represent a number of different lines and they, the main ones stay, uh, the smaller ones sometimes change, uh, but, uh, and all of them have a plan for my sales force, every one of them. 
when we go into a customer, my sales guys have to, they have to immediately differentiate themselves away from, hey, I came in here to show you this part. Do you need it? Like it's a vacuum cleaner sales guy who's going door to door. We are not that. And so the, our customers see those people all the time. Reps for a single organization who are out, you know, looking to count light bulbs or see if, you know, see if you guys are buying earplugs and gloves. We're not like, we're not that person. Uh, we're here to understand, um, you know, oh, you've got a, you've got a stamping, uh, a stamping and a metalwork uh, process line. And, and you're here in our backyard and we can give you on-site support. And we, we see like, can, are you willing to share for us that, that like the struggles that you're having with downtime, with finding people? Um, that's a lot of our, you know, a lot of our, some of our, uh, our automation sales leads are people who are looking for help consistently and who can't find it. Um, like what, are, what are the problems that, that you're having? What are the jobs that you can't fill? Uh, is there a way to make that easier uh, for the people who are there? Right to make it more ergonomic, to make it to make it safer, to make it you know uh, more efficient, and and uh, yeah, differentiating ourselves from the people who are coming in on a mission to sell you something specific. Uh, we got to get over that barrier right away because that's a locked door. Um, no, I, I I venture to say that like nobody's got time these days for those guys. No, which is interesting, uh, and it brings up an, another topic that you and I have discussed before, which is this. Um, this idea of this need to be liked and in this, uh, you know, environment where you have to show a lot of value in order to make the sale, where you have to be really highly consultative, it's easy to fall into a trap, right? Because we want to go in and we want to spend a lot of time, but we want to build those relationships. We want to do those things, but that can be a double-edged sword in a industry like yours, which is actually, um, you know, in the manufacturing space can be a uh, fairly common business model where you do a ton of consulting and a ton of engineering up front, and then you only ma- ever make it uh, on the on the product sale on the backside of that, right? And so, how do you try to find that balance between spending too much time and going down that dead end road uh, versus you know finding the the right relationships that are actually going to pay off? Yeah, we don't want to get stuck in the sales friend zone, right? Where you're where you're you want to be of service, right? Right away. You want to establish that you're not here to waste anybody's time and that, and that you being on site isn't, uh, it, I'm not detracting, right? I'm not, I'm not taking away, I'm adding something. And the easiest way for, you know, an, like one of the easiest ways for an engineer or uh, somebody who's highly knowledgeable to do that right away is to, is to display their value by giving you something of value. Uh, but like this, just about every sales training ever has got emphasis like massive emphasis placed on like you have to define the terms of success and failure and you have to be willing to put something on the line. If I do this for you, will you like, will you one, will you give me this, give me the purchase order, right? So that we can test maybe something small, right? Are you willing to give me your time? Are you willing to give me, you know, uh, the opportunity to quote on these other, on these other parts, I can do this for you. And if it's, even if it's something small, give me, give me the opportunity to quote something for you. Uh, to show you what our output is. Yeah, and I'll solve this problem. But if you come in and you're trying to solve people's problems to get them to give you their time, uh, that's that's an imbalance. And it's an imbalance that's, that's terminal. It, it can't continue. Uh, all you'll be doing is running around fixing people's problem and not getting paid for it. And we're not, we're not service people. Um, we've got service people. We know service people. They're fantastic. Uh, but but uh, yeah, you don't, you don't ever want to be in a situation where you're, you're, you're bleeding out your time. Uh, and when you, when you understand your own value, you understand that there are people 
there are people who need you there. Like if you can't sell to someone who needs you that they need you and drive it to a yes or no, that's high tech sales day one, you know, in the book, page one, <laughs> like you, you've got to be able to, to, uh, to define why you're here to define parameters for success. And if they're not amenable to it yet, yeah, right. There is somebody else who will be happy to spend time with you and who will be happy that you're there and who that you can have a, a mutually beneficial relationship with. You said something really interesting there. And I think it sort of betrays the mentality that we have uh, engineers or not when we're out selling. Um, obviously when we're doing the, you know, value consulting, all of those things, trying to get in, trying to solve problems. Uh, if we ask that person, what's the point of this? Everybody would say, of course, it's to make a sale. But I don't think oftentimes that our mentality that we're bringing to that interaction really is about the sale, right? Sometimes our need to be liked overtakes our need to make that sale. So if I'm in that situation and I want to be liked more than I want to make the sale, I'm never going to ask the question, hey, if I do this for you, can I get the PO? We're just never going to get there because our mind just won't allow us to actually do that. So I, I think that's a really interesting mentality that, that we all need to sort of check ourselves with from, from time to time. Uh, I was in a sales meeting in a, previous, in a previous company on a sales call. We were pitching to them a sales package. And over the course of like a 50, and we had, like, we had the purchase order for it. They had bought it. And over the course of about 15 minutes, uh, all of the sales guys who knew that it was going to be successful right? Who, who, like who knew in their bones were willing to put their, to put the reputation on it. Uh, they let this sale that we had a purchase order for dwindle down. They just gave up so much ground until it was less than half of what it was because nobody wanted to, because like it, it, this guy, him hauled his weight all the way down and they like, nobody wanted to jump in. And I, I wasn't in a position at the time where I was, I'm going to tell the sales guys who make twice as much as me what to do. This was years ago, but I, in my mind, I'm thinking like, if you've advocated to it for the, like until this point, at, like at what point are you going to jump in and be consultative again and let them know, like this guy is looking for someone to take his hand. He's stepping closer and closer to the line and looking around and seeing, is anything bad going to happen? And no one's saying anything. And so if, if he really does need this, um, you've got to come in and tell him, I, I see that you're making a decision about this. I've got more information. Let just let me help you uh, see what either side of this decision looks like down the road. If if you make a decision, yes, we're going to get this or we're going to stick with this down the road. You, you're going to have these options, and if not, then that's fine. If the business pressures are are, are are forcing you into this, or if you just don't see the value in it, this is what your future is going to look like. Everybody hung up the phone call. We, we got an order this less than half that it was, and all of the people got around and they said everything they should say on that phone call right? That this is a mistake. This isn't going to work. Now it's destined for failure. We're only going to have this much success. We don't need to waste any more time here. When it was on the line and all somebody needed to do is have the guts to be not, not pushy, uh, not, not off-putting. To tell the but, truth. But tell the truth and, and be willing to put yourself on the line. This guy might not want to hear what he needs to hear, but he needs to hear it. You need to care enough about him and about his business and about the opportunity and about the people who work with him to tell him something unpopular that he needs to hear in the moment uh, and, and be right later and take, take the medicine that tastes bad to make yourself more healthy. Yeah, it was, it, and it's, it stuck with me. I carry it, I carry that around everywhere. I think about it, you know, every week, at least a couple of times. <laughs> I don't blame you. 
uh, this is an excellent, excellent example of why we say that more value is destroyed in the sales process than any other corner of your business, right? Think about handing a budget to a department and that department say that budget is, I don't know, it's a million dollar marketing budget for whatever. Uh, they come back and they say, look, we spent two and a half million dollars. That never happens, right? We can't destroy as much value as that sale in your story, but it happens all the time in a sale. We're willing to walk back 50%, 65% of a sale, no problem every time, right? Even the margins sometimes we're willing to quote unquote sharpen the pencil 2%, which takes out half the margin. No other department can outspend and destroy value the way that a sale can just in the blink of an eye and the snap of a finger, just destroy the value of, in a sale like that. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing quite like, uh, there's nothing quite like exhibiting your value to, uh, to an engineering. This is, this is all part of our discovery. We drive this because we've been eaten alive by it so many times where we've got a, we've got a decision-making team uh, that we have been advocating to as a target customer that we've done a, a like a ton of work for um, who agree. We've got a virtual, like we got a verbal purchase order and a commitment from them. They are on board. They're on the board, you know, for, forever, right? They're, they're totally bought in. They don't like any other options. It's perfect solution. And then we find out later that these guys don't cut the POs. It goes to a purchasing organization who takes the project that we have and the intellectual property that we build and they put it out to, for like a reverse auction to our competitors. And they ask us to bid against ourselves once they've got the quote <laughs> And we immediately, like, it just, like, it just goes down. We just, and so that has bit us so many times that the people who make the decision and the purchase aren't in the room. And we did like, and we didn't do sufficient discovery to find out that the process, this, this process, either we need somebody to circumvent it for us and realize that this is, this is CapEx. It's like buying a building that doesn't go through, right. That doesn't go through, you know, direct purchasing or you put it out for a bid. Um, yeah, we, we need to define that. Uh, early or um, you need to bake more margin to this. And the people who, the people who gave you the virtual, the verbal purchase order may have known that may have advised you for it, but we just, we, we did in, yeah, insufficient discovery on it and we're just collateralized right away, uh, commoditized right away. Oh, well, now you're not a solutions provider. You, you're trying to sell me parts. Yeah. But we did all that up front. Didn't get paid for it. Like knowing that we were going to make the margin back on this and yet just, there are, there are so many pressures that, uh, uh, that drive you, that drive down your margin, that drive down your value, that drive down, uh, uh, your, your, uh, your perceived value internally, uh, that, that'll circumvent your internal champions at your, at your customer. It's a, it's a struggle. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, just sufficient discovery up front is how we try to protect ourselves from that, uh, upfront agreements, um, that if we're successful in this, we'll get the, we'll get this purchase order. Or, uh, if we're successful in this, that you won't, that you won't, take our intellectual property that we still <laughs> and take it to our competitor. Who's going to underbid us by 5% because they don't have any investment. Right. Boy, I could do an entire episode on that process and maybe we should sometime. Um, we, we talked about some of the drawbacks, um, maybe some of the stigma that comes in, some of the things that need to be coached out um, uh, when we bring really highly technical people into a sales role, but there's a reason we do it, right? Um, I think both of us are huge advocates for being highly consultative. In fact, if I could, summarize the priority sale in a nutshell, I would say it's about teaching uh, salespeople how to be consultative. 
and so I think there's there's a lot of benefit to putting engineers into sales roles, right? I mean, I'm sure that you realize some of that. Absolutely. Uh, we the the pool of available people uh, we talk about quite a bit for people who are technically competent enough to actually talk this job and that people who are uh, personable enough uh, to actually walk into a customer, exhibit your value, get them to like you, get them to trust you and establish a relationship like a multi-point relationship inside of an organization that you don't work for <laughs> uh, uh, to try to like to try to work for them. Um, that's a, that's a, that is a small pool of people to choose from. Someone who's uh, who's introverted enough to be an engineer and extroverted enough to be a sales guy. Those are they're not mutually like they're not, they're not exclusive, but they're definitely at odds with each other. And so, yeah, you you can't do this job uh, unless you're technical enough for it. But if you're technical enough for it, the chances are that you're personable enough to go. Yeah, they're 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 low. And so, we, when we find really good sales guys, uh, I think that we've we've we fielded more technical guys who weren't as personable than personable guys who weren't as technical. And, and uh, yeah, we've, like I said, we've got a, we've got a team of people who are, who work in, they're not, don't work in a closet, but they work in a room by themselves, like all together by themselves in a cubicle. And they're, they're so happy <laughs> just to solve problems <laughs> and, and to get into the bits and the bites. And that's, that is a job but this job is getting in front of people and seeing them face to face, shaking their hands, talking to them about the football game, uh, getting like, like establishing some points of contact um, to let them know that you're not, you're not a stranger and to, and, and uh, to let them see reveal enough of their business that we understand what they're doing and we can, we can bridge some gaps and show our value pretty quickly. So I think what we're trying to say is really that, you know, the question, should engineers be sellers? I, I think the answer is yes, but I think the, the more important question is actually the, the inverse and, and the answer to that question, which is, should sellers be more like engineers? And that for me is an unequivocal yes. To be able to have the knowledge and the expertise uh, to be able to bring value like an engineer brings to a situation, I think that is incumbent on every single seller to make sure that they are taking that mentality into every single interaction. I think that's something, even people who aren't in technical sales, um, I think that that's something that they can relate to uh, is having, having salesmen who are competent enough to be successful, but who aren't uh, assertive or aggressive enough to sharpen their sword. Um, and so we've got, I mean, I've got an eight and a half by 11 in six point font uh, number of vendors that I so that are my suppliers that, that, I, that I'm authorized to sell within a regional territory. So our breadth of product is huge. And I've got people who, I, who hire on who are engineers who maybe have specialties. They're electrical engineers, they're controls engineers, um, mechanical engineers, and maybe they've got something that they're more comfortable with, you know, pneumatics, motion control, robotics, you know, end of arm tooling, uh, vision systems. And they, you can make an entire, you can make a very comfortable living selling one of these product lines. It's not who we are, right? We're consultative salespeople who like, you've got a regional territory. If you've got, you know, I don't want to start name enough brands, but if you've got a large manufacturer in your area, in your regional territory, they're your responsibility. Your job is to go in there and know what they do. If they don't use vision, they don't use vision. If, they, if they're in pneumatics, they're in pneumatics. You've got to learn pneumatics. And I understand that you're comfortable enough 
to be successful selling controls and you're very good at it and you can grow your territory and our controls line loves us, but we've got a number of other people we got to give our mind share to. How do you, like, how do you, there's always the struggle to get that person to be uncomfortable enough that they're motivated to sharpen their sword, to learn new technologies, to become experts and, and to provide that value to their customer. And I think people who aren't even in our industry just, yeah, I'm really good at selling, you know, X brand car, right. To X, you know, profile customer, but how many customers are out there that you could actually service with this business model? You've got to learn something else. You like, that's just one of my, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant in the off season would always go, you know, learn the Texas two-step or the waltz or something, <laughs> something to add to his arsenal, right? To make it more dangerous when the season uh, pop back up. And uh, we've got to, we've got to constantly drive that. Nobody can get comfortable here. We have to be uncomfortable because our customers are constantly uncomfortable in an ever-changing market with different business pressures, with you know, different labor pressures, uh, new competitors, new global markets. Right? They're uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable too to help them. Uh, I, I think that is really, really valuable insight. And I, I appreciate that. Uh, Kevin, thanks for being here today. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Uh, anytime. You can find out more about the Priority Sale by visiting thepriorityseal.com. That's also where you can go contact us to tell us your thoughts or why our opinions are very bad. Or if you heard something you like and think others would like it too, share us with a friend or give us a rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Priority Sale is produced by Tiffany Jordan and Jesse Lafine. Editing and original music by Mark Hurdle. Priority Sale is a registered trademark of Revenue Path Group, Incorporated, all rights reserved. <laughs>